If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're reading from uh, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were uh, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one uh, may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. I mean, O God will always bless the reading of His own inspired Word. Well, it's a joy for me to add my welcome to you to this baptismal service. Uh, It's uh, uh, just a joy to see you all here. Um, If you're visiting and this is your first time in a Baptist church, we trust uh, that you relax and that you enjoy the service and you reflect on uh, all that's done and all that's uh, said. Now, you'll know that as a Baptist church, we differ from our brothers and sisters in other traditions, not only on who should be baptized, but how they should be baptized. We believe uh, a person should be baptized by total immersion, while other traditions uh, baptize by sprinkling, and some by infusion or pouring. Now, in the past, I've spoken why we uh, insist that it should be immersion, the meaning of the Word, the language, an example of the New Testament, the practice of the early church, the evidence from church history and archaeology. But I don't want to cover that ground again. What I want to emphasize this evening is the symbolism of the ordinance. Uh, just like the Lord's table, baptism has been given to us uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ to remind us of something. And just as bread and wine remind us, symbolize the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus, so baptism is a visual representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, it's not the only symbolism in the ordinance. Water is symbolic too. It symbolizes the washing away of sin. It doesn't actually wash away sin. It points to the washing away of sin. It's a picture of the washing away of sin. And of course, the symbolism of purification can be communicated by any of those three modes, sprinkling, pouring, or dipping. But the motif, the picture of death, burial, and resurrection can only, I would argue, be illustrated by immersion, going down into the water, death, being under the water, burial, coming up out of the water, uh, resurrection. And in the New Testament, we have these references to uh, death, burial, and resurrection in relation to baptism. So, if uh, 
Uh, Matthew puts up Colossians 2 and verse 12. We see, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And you find the same in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So, baptism then includes this idea of death, burial, and resurrection, as well as the idea of washing and purification. Now, remember, it's only a picture of those things. It doesn't actually accomplish those things. It's, it's a, a, a visual aid to uh, that uh, washing away of sin and to uh, death, burial, and resurrection. It's a sign of what happens to a person when they become a Christian. So, let's think of baptism then in terms of this picture of death, burial, and resurrection. So, if baptism conveys and portrays death, burial, and resurrection, what does it signify? What's set forth in that picture of death, burial, and resurrection? Well, four things. The historical facts of the gospel, the essential truths in the gospel, the personal identification uh, with the gospel, and the hope anticipated by the gospel. Now, don't be put off by that. We'll rattle through them very quickly. So, first of all, baptism by immersion, we see the historical facts of the gospel. Today is Easter Sunday, and on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and on the third day, He was raised to life. And the resurrection was not only the great vindication of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all that He said and all that He claimed to be was true, but it was the great validation of the work of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus died upon the cross, He died a substitutionary death. He died in our place, bearing our sin in His body. As Peter says, He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And when God raised Him from the dead, that was the Father's way of saying and demonstrating that all the work that Jesus had accomplished on the cross as a sin substitute was accepted by Him. That, uh, if you like, uh, Jesus… almost the very last statement that he made was, it is finished. The great work of redemption was finished. The great work of salvation was completed. He had paid the price for sin, and the resurrection was the Father's amen to that statement. It's true. The price for sin has been paid. And so, Paul begins that great chapter that we were looking at this morning with James in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, baptism, speaking of death, burial, and resurrection, points to His death, burial, and resurrection. You remember Jesus' baptism. 
Uh, Jesus comes to John, and John says, I'm not going to baptize you. You don't need to be baptized. You don't have any sin to repent of. And Jesus said, but this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And he, is, uh, he steps down into the water. He's immersed in that water. And the sin that had symbolically previously been washed uh, washed away the sins of those who had come to John to be baptized, flooded over him. And in that act, he was committing himself to be the sin-bearer, to be the Father's remedy for sin through his death, burial, and resurrection, that he was baptized uh, in order to demonstrate to all that were present, that he was identifying with sinners and that he was committing himself to pay the price for their sin by his death, burial, and resurrection. He was immersed in that sinful water as a pledge, as a commitment to his going to the cross to pay the price for sin. So, baptism, graphically, wonderfully and pictorially sets forth uh, Christ's commitment to the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection, that He was the only one uh, who could pay the price for sin, who could save us from our sin, and, uh, and uh, by uh, going to the cross in order to do that. And when we come to our baptisms this evening, we are asserting, we are confessing, we are demonstrating our commitment to these historical facts of the gospel that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that Christ was raised to life, the historical facts of the gospel. Secondly, we see the immersion, the essential truths of the gospel. Now, I read to you Ephesians chapter 2, and that portion's an interesting portion because Jesus is, uh, because Paul is not speaking of Jesus's uh, baptism or what happened to him, he's speaking about what happened to the Ephesians and how they became Christians. And he says in verse 1, don't you know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins? Do you, that, that was your condition. You were, you're, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you remember… Um, when uh, Adam was in the garden, he was told that he could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God said to him, on the day that you eat that fruit, you will die. And he ate that fruit, but he didn't die. He lived to 960 years of age. He didn't die, but God had said, on the day that you eat that fruit, you will die. But he, he died spiritually. He began to die physically, and ultimately he did die physically. But on the day that he ate that fruit, he died in terms of his relationship with God. If you think of a flower, uh, as soon as the secateurs uh, sever the flower from the mother plant, it's dead. It's cut off from the mother plant. You could put it in a vase. The bud may open and, and blossom. Ultimately, it will die and needs to be thrown out. But from the minute it was cut off from the mother plant, it's dead. And we, in terms of our relationship with God, Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
We were, were dead. That was our condition. We had no relationship with God. We had no intimacy with God. We had no fellowship with God. We didn't know God. We were dead in terms of our relationship to Him. But then Paul goes on and he says, but because of His uh, great uh, grace to us, He raised us up to spiritual life, and He uh, infused spiritual life into us so that we could enter into the very heavenly places and have this relationship with God. So, you were dead, and He raised you to life. And He tells us how that raising to life came. He says, for by grace are you saved. People don't like that word saved, but all it means is to be rescued. By grace you are saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace is, is the unmerited favor of God. It's, it's getting from God what you don't deserve. We all know what a gracious host is, a person who treats uh, their guests in a way that they don't deserve. I remember on one occasion in Balamani, I had lost a hubcap from the car, and I was going out to um, visit some elderly people in the congregation, a, a new family that had started to come. And uh, I thought, being a cheapskate, that I would go to the dismantlers and pick up a hubcap at a knockdown price. And the, the owner of the, the scrapyard said to me, well, the, 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 hub, the Nissan Bluebird is right down at the bottom of the end of the uh, yard. Go down and take it off yourself and come up and pay me. And I went down, got the exact match, picked it up, uh, paid him, and went on my way rejoicing. Ten pounds. What a, what a bargain. And then I called at this couple's house, and uh, she opened the door. She was glad to see me. And as I was walking up the hall and turning into the uh, sitting room, I saw a set of black footprints on her cream carpet right up from the, the, the uh, scrap yard. And I was so embarrassed, I took my shoes off, had a hole in my sock, and I was trying to pull the sock around to cover the sole. She gave me a slice of pavlova. That's why pastors are the size that they are. And a, a glass of slur, I put the slur down at my feet, uh, and as she was reaching me, the pavlova, it just dropped on me, and I stood up and kicked over the uh, <laughs> glass of slur. But she was very, very gracious. She was a gracious, so she didn't treat me the way I uh, deserved. And, and God is gracious. He doesn't treat us the way we deserve, but in His grace, He has made us a, a way back for, from this state of spiritual death that we might have a relationship with Him. Uh, and it's through faith. By grace are you saved. Um, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So there's no, nothing that we can do. There's no effort that we can make to make ourselves acceptable to God, but it's simply by, by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in Him. And that's such a, a common theme in Scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, believes in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember the words of Paul to the Philippian jailer, jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or John 1 verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the sons of God. 
So, so it's, it's by believing in Jesus that we experience this spiritual resurrection, where once we were dead in terms of our relationship with God, but He raises us to spiritual uh, life and, uh, and a, a new life, because he, he goes on to say then that, um, for we were created, uh, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. And, and all of that transformation from death to living this new life that is pleasing to Him is set forth in that motif, death, burial, and resurrection. And that, again, is what we're setting forth in baptism, death, burial, and resurrection, the essential truths of the gospel, that there's something wrong with us, inherently wrong with us as human beings. We are spiritually dead towards God, but through His amazing grace, we can be made alive through faith in Jesus, and we can live this new life that is then pleasing to Him. So, in baptism, we see the historical facts of the gospel, that He died, was buried, and raised to life. We see the essential truths of the gospel, that we are dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. And God has to intervene to raise us to spiritual life, to give us this new life in Him, death, burial, and resurrection. And then the third thing about baptism and this motif of death, burial, and resurrection is seen in the personal identification uh, with the gospel. If if you turn to uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, you see this. It's it's similar to the last argument, but it's different. Uh, Paul has been arguing in Romans, how is a person made right with God? How does a person get right with God? And his answer is, by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he imagines a, a heckler coming in and objecting to such a doctrine. And he says in Romans 6, And verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin live in it any longer? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Look at verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's the picture of death, burial, and resurrection again, but this time it's, it's slightly different. Paul is saying to these uh, Roman readers, he is saying, look, look, you can't continue in sin. You just can't go on living the life that you lived before because don't you remember what you said at your baptism? At your baptism, you said when you went down into the water that you have died to your old life that that old life has been buried and that He has raised you to live a new life in Him. As he says in verse 6, you have been crucified with Christ. So, you, you don't live just as you 
lived before, doing the things that you wanted and the things that you liked and the sins that uh, had hold of you. You don't continue like that because at your baptism, you publicly declare that you have died to your old life. When you go down into the water, you say, you say that old life is gone, that it's buried, and God in His grace has raised me to live a new life in Him. I heard of uh, this warring um, tribe in, in, a, uh, in Africa uh, at the turn of the last century, and uh, a missionary went to preach the gospel to them, and they were a fearsome tribe, and they carried and displayed their weapons of war openly to intimidate uh, rival tr tribes. And uh, a number of these uh, folks had professed faith, and it came to their baptism, and they all came to their baptism carrying their weapons of war. And then they went down into the water, and they, they left those weapons in the tank. And they came up out of the water, symbolizing the new life that they were to live in Christ Jesus. So when a person is baptized, they're saying, I have been baptized with Christ. I have died with, to my, my old life and the way that I used to live, and He has raised me to live this new life in Him. I'm no longer the same person. And Danny, Ben, Rachel, Hannah, and Tom, that's, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I, I have died to the way that I used to live. And He has raised me to live a new life in Him. So here we have this motif of death, burial, and resurrection. What does it point to? It points to the historical facts of the gospel, that Jesus died, that He was buried, and that God raised Him from the dead, the Easter message. It points to the essential truths of the gospel, that, that man is, is, is in, a, in trouble. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. But through his grace and by faith, God can reach into a person's life and, and raise them to live a new life in him, a life that is pleasing to him. It speaks of the personal identification with the gospel, that this, the candidates that are being baptized are saying to everyone present, look, a change has come into my life. I have died to the person I was, and, and God in His grace has lived, raised me to live a new life in Him. And the fourth thing is the hope anticipated by the gospel. Now, this is important, but not expressly referred to or directly referred to in the New Testament in a baptism context. I think it's hinted at in 1 Corinthians 15, and if you want to ask me about that, you can uh, afterwards. But, but you cannot think of that death, burial, and resurrection motif without thinking about our death, burial, and resurrection, that the Bible tells us all of us are going to die. As I've said before, the statistics on death are frightening. One out of one dies. This world is a hospice, and we're all terminal cases. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and that is an appointment that has been fixed, that must be kept, because it has been appointed by God Himself. And death, of course, is the ultimate reality and the ultimate certainty. 
But in the Christian gospel, James reminded us this morning, we have hope. We have hope of a future resurrection. I think Christians tend to get a bit confused about what happens and about when you die and about heaven and hell. The Bible teaches us that when you die, uh, your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord. First uh, Corinthians or Second Corinthians five, Paul speaks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. Paul says in Philippians one, I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. Jesus said to the dying thief, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That's wonderful. That's great that when you die, your body goes into the ground, but your spirit departs to be with Christ, which is better by far. But that is not the final state. There's a future bodily resurrection. That's what we heard about this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, but Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all that have fallen asleep. That He is the firstfruits. He is the, the, the pattern for what's about to come, that God will raise all who believe in Him from the dead. Now, turn with me just to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because you have this wonderful description of what happens when Jesus comes again. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that's those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Christian has hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, remember it's all based upon His death and resurrection, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, to the, uh, uh, will, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And you, you see what he's saying? He is saying, look, when Jesus comes again, those that have dead aren't, uh, aren't going to uh, lag behind anyway those that are alive, but because the dead in Christ shall be raised first. The dead will be raised, uh, will be reunited with their, their bodies, and then bodies and spirits will inherit the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You see what, what, what Paul is saying? That when, when Jesus comes again, there's going to be a glorious, wonderful bodily resurrection. And, and that bodily resurrection will be a, a, a glorious thing because we will inherit a redeemed creation wherein dwells righteousness. And that's why, he says, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope, because we have hope. Now, Easter Sunday is a popular day to do baptisms and 
the church I used to pastor in Balamani are doing a, a baptismal service tonight. And one of the boys that's being baptized is 18 years of age. He was born on my birthday, and every year I visit him, I take him a present, and uh, I put on the card, and he puts on my card, all the best boys are born on March the 24th. And Josh has muscular dystrophy. And uh, the predicted prognosis for death is probably in his early 20s. And tonight, they're going to maneuver him into the baptistry through uh, an evacuation chair and, and get him in and baptize him, knowing that he maybe has two, three, four, maybe five years to live. But what a glorious testimony that is, that we believe in death, burial, and resurrection. And there is this eschatological aspect to baptism that we are testifying to the fact that we believe, we believe through uh, what the Scripture teaches, that we will die, yes, we will be buried, yes, but we can look forward to a glorious resurrection in Christ Jesus. So, do you have that hope? Do you have that, uh, that sense that when, when you die, and you, we can die at any time, that, um, that your spirit will return to the God who gave it, but your body will be led in the grave awaiting that great and glorious day when Jesus comes again and the, the body is resurrected and reunited with the Spirit and body and Spirit inherit the new heavens and the new earth. That's why, as a Baptist, and you might think I'm prejudiced, that's why as a Baptist I think the mode of baptism is important because it points to so much. It, it points to the historical facts of the gospel that we believe that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised to life, that He paid the price of sin uh, on the cross, that He swallowed up the wrath of God by His work, by His death, burial, and resurrection. It points to the essential truths of the gospel, that, that we believe that man is dead in his trespasses and sins, that he cannot help himself. There's no self-help scheme that he can employ to make himself right with God. He's dead. He's powerless. And what he needs is a miracle of grace. What he needs is a, an infusion of spiritual life where God raises him from the dead and brings him to faith in His Son. The personal identification with the gospel and when a person uh, is baptized, they are confessing their faith in Jesus Christ that they have died to their old life, and He has raised them to live a new life in Him. But they're also pointing to the hope anticipated by the gospel that, uh, sure, we're all going to die, and everyone here within a hundred years will be dead. That's a fact but that's not the end. We as Christians believe in a future glorious resurrection when Jesus returns. And that's why I think immersion uh, conveys so much and ought not to be dispensed with 
when it comes to baptism. Amen.